gather ye friends around your flickering campfires and listen to tales of hiding, whispering and heart-pounding adventure. You should cut down on your caffeine. I know. Set aside your quaint stories about the vague history of tea and raise a super gulp-sized cup of insurrection to us, your storytellers. I am your dear Uncle Bob-Bob, and it's a pleasure to be here with you, even if it's not a pleasure to be here with you. Welcome, listener, to the third installment of our tea trilogy. I am the Pear Bear, cowering in this basement. My name is Uncle Bilbo, also having a bit of a subterranean cower, but with a sprinkling of wee, too. Hello, sweet listener. I'm Tombo. And do you know what I like a sprinkle of? It's learning. You might be asking, why are we cowering in a basement, terrified of our basic bodily functions? Well, we sort of travel back to Boston, Massachusetts, 1773, on uh, a time-traveling tea trolley? Listen back to episode one and two of the tea trilogy, and it will make complete sense. Will it? I mean, I was in those episodes, and I'm still none the wiser. Do you mind? Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, being here in Boston and being of a British persuasion, let's say we're having trouble making friends. You mean Bilbo is having trouble making friends? It wasn't my fault. I was just trying to learn. Learn, I tells you. Getting into arguments is not learning. To cut a long story short, this to-do was about a firearm-related incident a while back here in Boston, 5th of March, 1770, the incident on King Street. Isn't incident what you call an accident when you're not sure if you're allowed to call it an accident this isn't the m1 bilbo people got shot yes but those british soldiers were having profanities and snowballs thrown at them oh my god you're rehashing the very same public argument you loudly had with that paper boy then people started crowding us angry people that's why we're hiding those snowballs could have had stones in them put an eye out they could it would have been better if those soldiers weren't even there. Well, they were there. Stationed in Boston since 1768. A reaction to colonial pushback against some very unpopular British lawmaking. Including a heavy tax on tea. I'd be inclined to just pay the tax, you know? No one pays their tax here, silly. And they're far too busy to concentrate on tax. In the 1760s, the American colonists are too busy drinking one million pounds a year. If you're gonna drink it, you may as well just pay it. Tea! Wait, Bilbo! What are we waiting for? Ever heard of the phrase, no taxation without representation? No, but it rhymes, and I like it. The American colonists don't see themselves as having to pay tax because they're not represented back in Britain. They don't have a voice in Parliament. So, they dodged the tax collectors, which, although oversimplified in popular American history, is pretty reasonable. Oh, that's naughty. Three quarters of tea supped by the colonies is smuggled in, probably from the Dutch. That makes it double naughty. And so, as we were saying, the colonists have no say on laws made in London. And British Parliament insists that they have the right to tax Americans. And let's be honest, Britain is feeling a financial burden weighing heavily on its old Union Jack. Britain has ploughed too much money into a seven-year war with France and Spain, 1756 to 1763, and needs to balance the budget. Boring. All this talk of budgets and taxes, boring. I mean, what are we? The Boring Budget Boys show. Well, we are pretty budget. Or are we? The Silly History Boys Show! Come here, you troublesome Britishers. Take that! No! no Tombo! Pepper! Don't punch my kind of friends! What is the meaning of this, sir? Is this about the incident on King Street? You bacon-fed beefhead! You know damn well we call it the Boston Massacre! Not to trivialise the loss of human life, but how many were massacred? Bilbo, shut your mouth! Shut his mouth for him! With pleasure! No, please! I'm not trying to be rude! I I'm just not a big history guy! Ooh. Incidentally, good sirs, it was five people, but, um... Five, yes, but, but be it five or 555, that's not the point. People still lost their lives. Panic and a loaded gun 
Sense and reason are undone. Ah, my old ma has that embroidery hanging in her commode. All I'm saying is, if you've got young soldiers a long way from home, under a serious amount of pressure from a large and very hostile crowd, and... Stop making excuses for the English. I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not even English, I'm Welsh. You Britishers are always using the I'm Welsh card to get away with it. And you think you can get away with it? Getting away with it, just like the soldiers did at the massacre. Uh, well, yes. And also no. Thirteen people were arrested and charged with murder. Eight of them soldiers. And a fun fact, they were defended by future US President John Adams. Fun fact, you son of a... Adams won't get my vote. He got six of them off. And the other two just got branded. A reduced manslaughter charge. Can you believe it? Yes, I can believe it. And yes, it was proper horrible. And yes, it's never black and white. It's just a sort of grim history grey. Very fine people on both sides, eh? Uh... No, I, I implore you, surely, we can't let this devastating loss and angry propaganda run riot to spill over us onto us silly boys. We're just normal men. Innocent men. Nice try, you silver-tongued history fox. Shut him up. With pleasure. Man, I love whacking those British villains. The grass is certainly greener on our right side of history. Indeed. The air is sweeter. The food more nourishing. And the cudgel's tougher. Nothing like the honest cudgel of the oppressed striking out against the oppressor. Agreed. Can you imagine the evil arrogance that must run through those Britishers? That they think they can just impose themselves on us. Disgusting. Incidentally, that cudgel of yours, so smooth, like whacking a Britisher with a baby's bottom with a baby attached to it. What wood is that made from? How should I know? I took it off a Native American trying to oppress me. You know, when we defended ourselves against them and the French in 1763. You're a hero. Thank you, friend. One day I'll get the respect that I crave but don't want to earn. Especially from those Britishers. Let's stop thinking about those arrogant Brits. They don't think about us. Lord, what have they got going on between the ears? I'll never know. Meanwhile, across the pond, history's go-to bad guys are stroking their white cat. Mmm, who's a pretty cat, Jenny? Mmm, yes, soft squeezy wum wums. Oh, I love you, pussycat. Mm. You wanted to see me, Prime Minister North? Ah, 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 I did, Guy. Uh, firstly, Jenny's side here is out of cat food. The good stuff. You don't like that awful mainstream brand, do you, Jenny Jens? You like to find that artisan, hard-to-find nonsense, don't you, my little terror? It's a good pussycat. Very good, sir. Oh, and the Secretary of State for the Colonies is here to see you, sir. Finally! I need bringing up to speed regarding the problems we're having over there. Oh, why is running the world and having a thoroughbred cat so difficult? This has been going on for years. Send him in, guy. The Secretary of State for the Colonies. You wanted to see me, Prime Minister? Ah, William, Earl of Dartmouth. Oh, I say, what's wrong with your voice, Lord North? Oh, I'm this week's premium baddie, William. You know how it is. So... How's life with you? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Long walks, chilling with slave traders, etc. Mmm, cool. Fine drink and banging tunes, courtesy of John Newton, eh? He's still not using that awful MC name, Slave Trader, is he? Oh, no, no, no. He's gone with simple old John Newton. He treated me to his new track. Ah, the latest one to drop. Amazing Grace. Yes, I've heard it. It's a total tune with a CH. Have you heard it, Guy? How sweet the sound indeed, sir. Hmm, how is old morally solid John? Finding God, going soft on certain practices, you know? Standard stuff. Oh well, can't be helped. Anyway, William, I invited you here because I need a hand. I can give you a leg. 
I beg your pardon. He's William Legg, second Earl of Dartmouth, Prime Minister. What? James, Prime Minister. Oh, superlows, William. You always bring the levity with you, especially in these profoundly annoying times. So, let's have it then, William. These colonists, eh? Proving to be a bit of a pain up the bottom, are they? Indeed, sir. Distance from the crown seems to distance their hands from their pockets ever so. Tax-dodging layabouts. Guy! Why isn't the Chancellor of the Exchequer doing his job and squeezing these louts? I'm not quite sure, sir. Perhaps you could tell me? What? What? Oh, uh, Nickers, yes. I'm the Chancellor of the Exchequer as well, aren't I? Oh, damn it. Correct, sir. Damn it, Guy! Right. Let's have some fun corporate roleplay. Guy, for the next five minutes, you are the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Very good, sir. Wah, wah, wah. The Americans won't pay their taxes. <laughs> He's got you there, Lord North. Very good guy. Listen here, Chancellor. Listen here, Minister for the Colonies. Do we or do we not have measures in place to make sure that loud-mouthed rabble pay their taxes? Well, don't just stand there looking at me like I should know. Yes, sir. The Townsend Acts of 1767. Again. Am I a mind reader, Chancellor? That was before I was Prime Minister, and therefore, therefore I remember none of it. The Revenue Act of 1767, sir. It taxed glass, lead, painters' colours, paper, and, most importantly, tea. They do drink a lot of tea over there, Prime Minister. Unfortunately for our tax collectors, the colonists said, Your char, no tar. And boycotted British imports of tea choosing to brew their own, or smuggle it in. How dare they! What a slap in the face that is! We spend so much time and effort cultivating our murky and quite frankly unsavoury reputation, those poor, undervalued traps of the British East India Company shove all the way to China for the tea, only for Johnny Colony to homebrew a batch of the brown stuff in his own toilet. I do hope something was done. Well, British Custom Commissioners did request troops to help with tax enforcement. Sweet. Job done. What's next? The incident on King Street. The Boston Massacre? Oh, the motorway accident in March 1770. Yes, very, very unfortunate. Oh, obviously, my government had only been created three months prior, so I, it was nothing to do with me. I was, I don't know, our predecessors, those, the Grafton Ministry, they have a lot to answer for. It was their fault. You were Chancellor of the Exchequer and the leader of the House of Commons in that ministry. So... God, that, that, I mean that, that Lord Grafton. If I ever see that guy again, it'll be too soon. Oh, Lord Grafton. Isn't he your current Lord Keeper of the Privy Seal? What? No way. Um, uh, yeah, of the great offices, he's like fifth. He's higher than me. Uh, um, yeah, a parliament is, uh, a, 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 a canteen is huge and a very, a very big place in general, and I... Oh, thank God for that. Come in! Hello? Anyone there? I'm John Smith from the British East India Company. Ah, John Smith, my old friend. I don't believe we've met, Lord North. Uh, um, the, oh, the, 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 the East India Company, you say? Wow. Oh, the stories you must be able to tell. I've literally just been elected to the Court of Directors in this, the year of our Lord, 1773, sir. So I'm proper new. Oh, for God's sake. John Smith, John Smith, eh? Wow, what, what, a, what an unusual name. Generic enough not to arouse suspicion from the history trickets, I expect, sir. Yes, but you see so few John Smiths these days. We are fully sidetracked from the fact you don't know what's going on, Prime Minister. Excellent. So, John, what's the word? Greed is the word. Is the word? That you've heard? It's got groove. It's got meaning, sir. Excellent. Oh, and greed is the time, is the place, is the motion? Greed is the way we are feeling, yes. What just happened? The Tea Act of 1773, that's what. 
We poor and hungry boys at the little old East India Trading Company are in financial peril. We can barely afford our flat screens and DVDs on dominating farm machinery. To become subservient to one's combine? How can you live like that? It's so very sad. So we're going to help them out a bit. We need to reduce the massive amount of tea held in our London warehouses. And help this friendly little company survive. You're going to undercut the price of the illegal tea smuggled into the American colonies, aren't you? Bingo! Here, have 400 quid to leave your microwave on in the winter. Ah, do you see? Being Chancellor of the Exchequer is a doddle. Seems that way, yes. Plus, of course, I get to focus on helping out my mates, which is such a nice feeling. So this will convince the colonists to purchase our tea. Our cheaper tea? And boom, we can Townsend tax them hard. And the best thing is, is that they will have 100% decided to buy our tea and pay the tax like the good little British subjects that they are. And before you know it, it'll be welcome to Tractor Town, population me. Why, 86% of all the tea in America is smuggled Dutch tea. It's disgustingly naughty. But what if those selling our tea get wise? We sell the surplus tea for our hand-picked tea brokers in the American colonies. Murky jobs for the questionable boys, eh? And they won't get wise. They are idiots. Monopoly! Monopoly! I agree with you, William Dawes. This monopoly is equal to tax. Agree! Not only are you one of the finest horsemen around, William Dawes, but you are also one of the finest shouters of words that a jam-packed Bostonian meeting house could hope to hear. Thanks! Hear, hear! They clearly think we're idiots. Muppets, even! And Mr. Franklin, my young Benjamin Franklin, you are also correct. They see us as nothing more than idiotic children to be sidelined and silenced. Our heartfelt thanks to you, Samuel Adams, for leading us into action on this historic day, December 16th, 1773, and for leading our group, the Sons of Liberty. That was the name of my acid funk band in college. What say you, James Otis Jr.? Taxation without representation is charity. You've been saying that for years. Doesn't make it untrue! That it doesn't, James, that it doesn't, and we are here at the Old South Meeting Hall in Boston for the truth. And what else are we here for? Our health? I want to shout no, but the medical as well as the social benefits of tea employ me to shout yes! Are we here for a good time? Seeing as this was built as a Puritan meeting house in 1729, I'm gonna shout no. Not even close to the small side smile of titillation. That's right. We are not here for fun. We are not here for, it can be argued either way, our health. We are here for tea. I, James Otis Jr., I'm not sure I was even here at all. But you fine people, you know me. I do not identify as a revolutionary man. I am more cautious than Sam Adams, my fiery friend here. Sorry, I'm really gasping for a cup of tea. You know me, and I know you. This tyranny must cease. In times gone by, we've gathered here to commemorate the bloody Boston Massacre of 1770. We gathered here, patriots and loyalists alike, to protest the press gagging of sailors into the king's navy. Barbaric, what with our lack of dental plan. And terrible fool, it's, it's, it's awful. And we gather here again, not just for tea. Anyway, what's with the tea? Will it be unloaded for sale or what? It's been sat at Griffin's Wharf for ages. Don't get bogged down by the tea. It's what the tea represents. Parched mouths and incommoded tummies. I was going to say shackles and extreme injustice. And that is not the colonial way. We know that in September and October 1773, seven British East India ships set sail. One each for New York, Philadelphia, and Charleston. And four headed here to Boston. Two thousand chests I hear. Nearly 600,000 pounds of tea. Oh. 600,000 pounds of liberty. 
you mean? Oh, Samuel, there's no need for that. These are testing times. This is a test indeed, James. Why, colonial protesters in New York, Charles Dunn and Philly have forced their parliamentary tea-selling stooges to either resign or return the tea to England. What about our stooges? Governor Hutchinson has convinced them to hold their ground. And they listened? Well, sure, the chief broker stooges and the governor's sons. Rotten. Rotten to the core. Can we force these four ships to leave and return tea sender? The captain we spoke to said he could not leave with his cargo on board. That's it. This meeting can do no more to save the country. But before we go, we need to set the date for the AGM. Boring! To Griffin Harbor! Folks, please! The AGM won't date itself! Plus, we have the motion forwarded by Janine Rita Charity Tom Bowler and the changes to our constitution regarding being more inclusive! Up like Native Americans, such a nice um, a g- gesture. Um, well, we cool this, Samuel. Ah, you know, probably it's inclusive, yeah. We seem to be losing control of this meeting, Samuel. Well, we tried. Boston Harbor at Teapot tonight. From a cosy yet wee-smelling basement to a wet, more jail-like basement. I think that wet is the harbour getting in, Tombo. At least we don't have to whisper anymore. That makes for an annoying edit. Shut up, Bilbo. Yeah. What's that? Sounds like a right ruckus. Uh, hang on, I'll look. Uh, get you, jailer's pet, chained up next to the window. Must be nice. Yeah, you're right, Pear Bear. What a ruckus. Looks like some kind of party. Well, tell them to be quiet. Oh, wow. It looks like a huge fancy dress party. Students and their freshers' week pub crawls. Oh, what's the theme? Um, cultural appropriation? Mohawks? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Ah, I bet you all the tea in China, it's the Boston Tea Party. I can't believe we're in Boston and missing the party. It's like going to Paris and passing on the Louvre or checking in on Hull and neglecting to see that massive fish at the deep. It's a tumultuous time, Bilbo. Pretty much talking revolution now. Aren't we straying into your territory, Bob Bob? Well, yeah, but it gives us a chance to limber up our silly muscles. Um, battles? Of course. Stirring narration? Absolutely! We haven't narrated properly in ages. We better get practicing. Keep it down, you damn noisy students! It's the music! On the evening of the 16th of December, 1773, A large group of men. Some dressed as Mohawk warriors for some reason. It was probably a specific and symbolic choice of dress that showed that the Sons of Liberty identified with the subjugated indigenous peoples. You know, because they felt Britain was being mean to them. Is that how it's being framed? I think we can all agree that in no way is this a ploy to protect their identities, or at the very least, sow a few seeds of confusion by including an already marginalised people in the conversation. Priceless. Unless we forget, boys and girls, that the standard of living in the American colonies in the 1700s is much, much, much higher than those living in Britain at the time. Wah! Wah! We don't want to pay our taxes. Anyway, these fellows boarded three vessels in the harbour. The Dartmouth, the Eleanor, and the Beaver. Three ships. One called Beaver. Well, that was eager of them. You've grown, Tombo. Shut up, you damn students! 
I'm having a personal growth spurt here. Over the course of three hours, the Patriots, which is how you say it, slash rioters, depending on how British you were, liberated slash desecrated, depending on how much you like tea, all the 342 chests of tea into the water. 92,000 pounds worth of damage. That's a lot of money for those frugal chaps at the British East India Company. No, wait, Bilbo. Okay, there you go. Still, doesn't make it less of a blow for them. No, 92,000 pounds, LBs, in weight of tea. The British East India Company reported a 9,659 pounds loss. That's pounds sterling. Oh, that's okay. That's a second-hand 2017 Skoda Fabia equivalent floating in the harbour. They'll bounce back. In 1773, Bilbo. 1773. That's close to 1.4 million smackers. Expensive. So was that, you damn bin-moving knowledge parasites, with your tick-tick and your, your insane need to bring back the mullet? No, William! No, William! Oh, great. Now they're shouting. No, William! What's that undernourished social scientist-in-waiting want with me? Excuse me, Mr. Future Radiologist. No, William! Yes, yes you. Y yes, you. Yes, hello. He's here, but only his grandma calls him William. What did that prisoner say, James? That uh, William is here, Samuel! How can the fourth ship bound for Boston be hiding here? Sam, James, the William ran aground at Cape Cod. What happened to all the tea, William Dawes? It was taxed. No! And sold to private parties. No! Heaven help us! Who told you? Benny Franklin, he, he found this horned tea trolley. He was gonna trash it, but then he started spouting interesting if unsolicited facts about tea. The information is next to useless, but this tea is lovely. A real Portuguese flavor to it. Uh, give me a sip. It's gone, sir. But before I finished it, the leaves let slip that in March 1774, a tea hall from the William is going to be held in either a warehouse in Boston or with the shop that purchased some of it. Davison, Newman, and Co. Let's go mess them up, brah. Sons of Liberty, keep on your costumes of Mohawk. To me, to me. Ugh, worst pub crawl ever. Lads, those rudderless chartered accountant wannabes left the tea time trolley. Quick. Grab some of that loose floor tea, and look out for the marine biologists of tomorrow! On it. Oh, well that was something. Wonder if those young fellows managed to graduate. Let's see. Ooh, ooh, well, well look, they do, they do track down and destroy the tea hall from the ship William. More oil on the fire than is British Parliament, one would think. Well, British Parliament responds with the Coercive Act of 1774. Among other things, it closes the port of Boston until the British East India Company are paid back their lost money by the locals. Once again, the student gets stiffed with the bill. It's okay, that never happened. They never paid it. Moochers and freeloaders, I've always said it. Representatives of the colonies gathered in Philadelphia to discuss how best to respond to British oppression. This first Continental Congress supported the destruction of the tea, supported the continued British char and no tar, and went home in late October 1774 more united than ever. We'll never know if they were motivated by the love for tea. Or political unrest? I can guess. And I will be taking wild and the silliest stabs at this, dear listener, but now is not the time for we appear to be stopping. Welcome back, gentlemen, and welcome to our big end-of-season review as we look forward to moving into a new decade, the 1840s, a decade of being the super-awesome British good guys... Oh, oh. 
Oh wait, who's who's taking the minutes? Ugh, I suppose I am. As always. Hmm, it's been an interesting season. Nay, a few seasons of our plucky ragtag team, Badman Athletic. Wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. I thought we were Stressfield Wednesday. Unsporting Lesbian? I thought we were Kingdom United. Let's split the difference and call ourselves United, a name that everyone can despise. Hear, hear. Firstly, let us note the attendance of United's first team members, in order of the most popular boys' names in England and Wales circa 1840. What? Coolest first, no backsies. Ooh, looks like I'm first, with William coming in at number one. Oh, what a fluke. Where does Robert start? Number nine. Mmm, the tricky poacher playing off the shoulder of the deceitful continental centre-back, eh? Thomas? Arriving late at the back post to tap in for third spot. And your face, Robert. Shinned it. Totally shinned it. Shinned it and it went in. They all count, Robert. So where does Stuart rank? Dependable, solid and boring. Underappreciated engine room player, no doubt. <laughs> you don't even crack the top 200. And there it is. Now, if you were a Zephaniah or Absalom, then we'd be talking. Are they foreign lads we took a chance on because we desperately need some width? What are we doing here, chaps? We, we've all got bad guy voices. We've, we've got all 5-4-1 and we're playing it safe. And that's not the United DNA. William, are we padding for time here or something? <laughs> ah, you see, Thomas, just in time. The halftime tea has arrived. Wonderful. Get them in. Milk? Sugar, anyone? Oh, how rude of us. Uh, hello, my no, name is... No, you four, don't talk, just serve. Get on with the review. I've got myself all riled up and I need to get off and, and tweet about DNA and passion and whatnot. Calm down, Stuart, you're probably just hangry. Get a sandwich, don't you? Who is that prawn? Well, I'm ready, Robert. So as you know, it's been a tough few years for us. The good news is, though, we're still throwing around stupid amounts of money, but the bad news is qualification is looking grim. The Chinese opium game? Is there any other game in town? Oh, yes. The Chai Opiums League. I would like the minutes to reflect how awful that was. Noted. Wait, wait, wait. You say we're still throwing around stupid amounts of money? I mean, I mean that's great and all, but, but where's the money coming from? Not China, I can tell you that. We buy their porcelains, silks and tea, and they take our silver. Bit one-sided, that. What about them buying from us? The industrial age here in Britain is 100% in full swing. We're cranking it out. They don't want our gear, Thomas. What? United produce when it matters. Vimpto, nuclear physics, Scott McTominay. The Chinese say they are all dangerously explosive and bad for your insides. Take that back. Now you're just being silly. It must be true I heard it on a podcast. We need some new tactics, men. New tactics to combat this Chinese peaking of the bus. You say they don't want our gear, William, but circling back to the opium game, surely they want our hard Indian drugs. Our Bengali baggies, well, sure. By 1787, the East India Company is helping out the Chinese with 4,000 chests of our Indian-grown opium per year. You know, for their anxiety and hay fever and whatnot. But over time, the Chinese emperors have been complaining about doping in the game and have pronounced opium illegal. Golly, what bad form! Indeed. Illegality keeps rearing its ugly head. 1799, 1814, 1831. Ugh, I hate those pesky scandals that won't go away. They're calling it a crisis. Tragic! All that yummy opium going to waste. I wouldn't say it's going to waste. Oh, thank the maker. I thought you were about to say it wasn't getting in. It's in all right. As of 1839, it's up to 30,000 chests. Per year? And the chests weigh 77 kilograms each. That's like two and a half Labradors. Wait, are we, are we, are we halving Labradors now? Well, I suppose we have to get the caskets through customs somehow. No, you fools. We might be the premium baddie of this place. But we are a nation of animal lovers. You put a cat in a wheelie bin in Britain and we'll forget about the food banks. We'll get you. We'll get you. We love our animals. We hate people, but we love animals. 
But Chinese addiction, fine. Slicing Labradors in half, not fine. Correct. But why are we worried then if the opium game seems great? Oh, there's always issues. Some mildly irritating. The Americans? Mm, yes, yes. When they're not tossing tea, they're barging on our opium action with their inferior Turkish opium, no less than damn Jonathan's. One of their main players is a Warren Delano Jr. We should keep an eye on him. Don't stare too hard, Thomas. Delano's grandson will go on to become president of those fresh upstarts in the United States. President Franklin D. Roosevelt. No way. What do you think the D in his name stands for? Delano. Okay, uh, I guess I'll only keep half a lazy eye on him. Our biggest problem is the Emperor of China. Again. Oh, he's so annoying. We've always been huge in Asia, but now he won't buy our merch. He only gave us the port of Canton for free trade. And they won't open up their country for exploitation. How dare they? And now we have the letter. We've reached the letter-writing stage, have we? Mm. That's so passive-aggressive. The Emperor seems concerned with the moral decay of his people and with the outflow of silver that they're spending on our drugs. We bring the smokes, and the Emperor brings the notes. Pah! Well, the Emperor of the current King Dynasty has charged High Commissioner to publish an open letter to Queen Victoria. A William, uh, if you will. Right, let's stick on some sombre music and see what High Commissioner Lin Si Shu has to say for himself. Canton, Guangdong Province, 1839. We find that your country is 60 or 70,000 li from China. Li? That's a Chinese mile. 70,000 miles? What? Well, obviously it's not the same as our mile, Stuart. Ours is better. Such difficult people. Continue, William. The purpose of your ships in coming to China is to realize a large profit. Since this profit is realized in China, and is, in fact, taken away from the Chinese people, how can foreigners return injury for the benefit they have received by sending this poison to harm their benefactors? Poison? Wait, is he dissing our Van Wilder party skills? Such a difficult people. Continue, William. They may not intend to harm others on purpose. But the fact remains that they are so obsessed with material gain that they have no concern whatever for the harm they can cause to others. Have they no conscience? I do have Constance. She's at home, lollygagging. How dare he make assumptions about the, you know, whereabouts of my lazy wife? Calm yourself, Stuart. Here, have another sandwich. May I continue? <clears throat> I have heard that you strictly prohibit opium in your own country, indicating unmistakably that you know how harmful opium is. You do not wish opium to harm your own country, but you choose to bring that harm to other countries, such as China. Why? Nobody answer that. Uh, may I? Thank you. The products that originate from China are all useful items. They are good for food and other purposes, and are easy to sell. Has China produced one item that is harmful to foreign countries? For instance, tea and rhubarb are so important to foreigners' livelihood that they have to consume them every day. That reminds me, are we all eating our required sack of daily rhubarb? Robert, please, we're getting to the real meaty bit here. <clears throat> Were China to concern herself only with her own advantage without showing any regard for other people's welfare, how could foreigners continue to live? I have heard that in the areas under your direct jurisdiction, such as London, Scotland and Ireland, do not produce opium. It is produced instead in your Indian possessions, such as Bengal, Madras, Bombay, Patna and Malwa. Well, well, when you put it like that, that's a lot of places dedicated to opium. Yes, Thomas, it is. Thomas, please. In these possessions, the English people not only plant opium poppies that stretch from one mountain to another, but also open factories to manufacture this terrible drug. As months accumulate and years pass by, the poison they have produced increases in its wicked intensity, and its repugnant odor reaches as high as the sky. Heaven is furious with anger, and all the gods are moaning with pain. 
It is hereby suggested that you destroy and plough under all of these opium plants and grow food crops instead, while issuing an order to punish severely anyone who dares to plant opium poppies again. You know, he might have a point. Pah! Project Fear and you know it. Don't be seduced by the Far Eastist agenda, Thomas. Go on, William, finish it off. <clears throat> a murderer of one person is subject to the death sentence. Just imagine how many people opium has killed. This is the rationale behind the new law, which says that any foreigner who brings opium to China will be sentenced to death by hanging or beheading. Our purpose is to eliminate this poison once and for all and to the benefit of all mankind. Lin Si Shu. Well, good luck with that, mate. Oh, such difficult people. I mean, I mean, say what you mean. Don't pussyfoot around. Seemed open. Unlike their borders. Gentlemen, please. Uh, thank you for reading, William. I'm disappointed you didn't do the voice, but then you can't have everything. We have bigger problems, gentlemen. Shu has ordered all the opium in Canton to be seized. 20,000 chests. That's 1.3 metric tons of opium. Won't be able to claim personal use. No wonder he seized. He had it destroyed, Thomas. Can you imagine the street value of that? Such a difficult people. Charles Elliot, the chief superintendent of British trade in China, has written to London advising the use of military force against the Chinese. What started as a small skirmish between us Brits and some Chinese vessels in the Kowloon Estuary on the 4th of September 1839 concluded with the Treaty of Nanking in August 1842. The unequal treaties, the Chinese call it. Damn straight it's unequal. We bossed the whole war with our awesome world-beating navy and got some sweet, sweet sugar out of it. We did indeed. The island of Hong Kong and the ports at Shanghai Canton, Ningbo, Fushu, and Xiamen, from which to trade. And they must pay millions upon millions of reparations to us too. God, I love the Opium War. But what if they don't like it? Then we'll play the greatest hits. Now that's what I call 8th of October 1856 to the 24th of October 1860. The Second Opium War. Hi there, fellows. Bilbo here. You know, I don't think we come out of this looking great. Good lord, are you silent T-boy still present? What did you hear? Um, everything? Well, shut your opium hole, T-boy, or do I need to do some heavy whataboutery on China and their practices? You don't become a world power by being nice, you know. This is history, and history people are awful. Come to think of it, this is now, and now people are awful as well. Now get out! Just get out! Why did you do the Opium Wars, Bilbo? I'd hardly call that doing it. It was skimmed as lazily as a chai soy latte at that local coffee house that I hate. I sort of poured myself into a corner. You know, you can't do tea without at least mentioning the Opium Wars. It's proper engrossing, just not very silly. What was I going to do? I say, Algernon, now that's a proper trumpet solo if I ever smelt one. I suppose you're right, Bilbo. It's just a shame that I didn't see that war. I mean, war may be over-egging the pudding. Yeah, I guess. One-sided mashing? Like Pear Bear insisting the left side of the tea bag is the superior side to squeeze. I mean, how can he even tell? Well... Oh, we know what you're going to say. Trust me as this group's most serious teabagger. No, silly. I was going to say, well, how about a teabag fact to lighten the post-war mood? Well, OK, we're almost done. After all, I see the 20th century on the horizon. In 1908, by happy accident, New York tea importer Thomas Sullivan invents tea bags when he sends tea to his clients in small silk bags. Not knowing what to do with the bag, his clients steep the bags whole. So, Tombo, has our adventure through tea time got you the least bit interested? By no means. Hot brown. Hot, non-meaty brown. Iced tea, the last roll of the dice. 
1904, four years before Uber bagger Thomas Sullivan, Englishman Richard Bletchenden creates iced tea during a heatwave at the St. Louis World Fair, and people love it. Well, not this people. Why is tea so important to the British anyway? Tea helped alleviate some of the downsides of industrial urbanisation, maybe? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, drinking tea required boiling water, thereby killing waterborne diseases like dysentery, cholera and typhoid. Yeah, I guess I never thought of that. Or, you know, our climate is wet and cold and it's invariably minging outside. May as well just stay in and have a nice cup of tea. Ooh, cup of char. If it's brown, get it down. Well, it's definitely not my cup of tea. Ah, minging British weather. Home again. Come on, boys. Who wants a cup of tea? Do I look like I have typhoid? Oh, come on, you. I'll blend up some mince. I'll add an octocube. Whack it in the microwave. Okay. So, for all the tea in China... Judgment trays. And rising of the caffeine. I can't believe you did three of them. Yeah, I know, me neither. We have been... The Silly History Boys Show! And we are... As always... Sorry! Sorry! T3, Rise of the Caffeine, or episode 49, of the Silly History Boys Show was written and produced by the Silly History Boys. Desperate, useless and corrupt Prime Minister Frederick North, the game doesn't change listener, the faintly Muppet-like founding father Benjamin Franklin and another sinister person called Robert, typecast, were brewed up, forgotten about and left on the bedside table for three months till your mum comes round and scolds you for the mouldy teacup by your bed. My me, your dear Uncle Bob Bob. The roles of the charming William Legg, the furious William Dawes, and the number one Victorian monarcher circa 1841, William, were steeped for 24 hours, squeezed, steeped for a further four hours, then microwaved to taste by Will Uncle Bilbo Tristram. That, incidentally, is how my friend Joe used to drink tea. He's a published playwright and an absolute an American militiaman who's just turned off his body kang. A guy called Guy, James Otis Jr. And a name that was less popular than Absalom in 1841, i.e. Stuart. It's the national beverage and international scandal that is Stu the Pear Bear Perry. Another American militiaman who's turned off his body cam, the unusually named John Smith. The traitor to his king and pretty decent beer, Sam Adams. Sorry, Americans, please keep listening. And the third most popular moniker in Britain circa 1841. It's them, Tom, Thomas, Tombo Fermor, who would put the milk in first and laugh directly into your face while he throws bucket after bucket of hot chocolate down his gob. Tombo. I don't drink tea either, but I kept it quiet so I didn't get rinsed. I like green tea because I'm an athlete listener. Teamendous thanks, as always, to Zapsplat of Zapsplat.com, where a person can source all manner of zaps and splats for free. A Sports Direct mug of char and an affectionately soggy biscuit are offered in payment to Rob Lord Fastfingers Tristram for his work on the Silly History Boy Show theme song. Special thanks goes to all our listeners who came to see us at the Jorvik Viking Festival and for our antics at Stonehenge. We went to Stonehenge, it was really cool. Extra, extra, extra special thanks to the people who recognised Bear Bear and Bilbo from their voices in Jorvik and said hello. We were all very super psyched to hear about it. I know, I know you would have preferred to meet me, oh dear Uncle Bob Bob, but hey ho. You can't always get what you want. But yeah, if you ever recognise us in the street, please just come up to us straight away, especially to Bilbo. He's very friendly. Um, keep an eye out for Tom Tombo Fool the Jester as he travels the UK, setting himself on fire for your entertainment this summer. And uh, put, put a note in your diaries for two whole days, well, four whole days, of Silly History Boys Live at Warkworth Castle on the 26th and 27th of July and 23rd and 24th of August, right after dear Uncle Bob Bob's birthday. Check us out, as always, on the socials at Silly History Boys Show on Facebook, SHB underscore show on Twitter, and Silly History Boys 
on Instagram. And of course, if you enjoyed this particularly silly episode of the Silly History Boy Show, please like, review, and rate on your chosen podcast platform. Join us next time for the 50th episode of the Silly History Boys Show. 50! 50 boys and girls, you get less for murder. Uh, we'll do a special edition of, of that, of course. It, it'll, be a, it'll be a couple of normal shows, and, but we'll do a special to, to celebrate 50-odd episodes of this utter nonsense. But we, we've got to work at the moment, and it's a living hell. But we, we promise, we'll promise we'll do something for you, listener. And a big thanks to Big Scotty Buckley for the use of the tracks Johnny Quangle and the Quangle Notes and the one we usually use. Will that do? Yeah, that'll do. Um, which ones did you use? Uh, Descent is that one? Absolution. Absolution. Uh, absolution, okay. And then there's one that goes... What's that one called? Uh, oh, I know. Um... Yeah. Okay, yeah, discovery. That's it, discovery yeah. Discovery and absolution. Discovery and absolution. That's fine. Yeah. Beautiful. I've recorded this entire conversation to put in the credits. Great. Just, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll do it right now. Okay. Okay. And then I'll send it to you. Big thanks to Big Scotty Buckley for the tracks Descent and Discovery. God's sake. And a big thanks to Big Scotty Buckley for the tracks. Now you've ruined that. And a big thanks to Big Scotty Buckley for the tracks. Ah, and a big thanks to Big Scotty Buckley for the tracks Discovery and Absolution. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really great. It's like you're over Zoom directing me. Right, that'll do. See you later. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.